Welcome back to another episode of Texas Sports Nation. I'm Jonathan Alexander here with Bruce Cabina. And a lot has happened since the last time we had this podcast. Uh, the Texans went through a 23-day search to find a new coach after firing Levy Smith. And then they landed on one of their own, D'Amico Ryans. And he had his first press conference on Thursday, February, February 1st, February 2nd. Correct me if I'm wrong. February 2nd, sorry. February 2nd. It's tough, man. It's happened. been a long week. I bet. You barely know where you are. You were in Mobile, and then you're in Houston. Running, running on a couple of hours of sleep and a couple of naps uh, in between. <laughs> so I am, I, I am, I don't know where I'm at right now. Um, but <laughs> a new era, though. And, uh, man, let me get your That's takeaways. Right. Um First on the hire and what you kind of heard today, and, you know, I'll piggyback off you. Well, this is the most meaningful hire for the Texans in their history, and they've had six head coaches, and D'Amico Ryans is the fourth in four years, and his six-year deal should offer him some security. They're in a much better spot here now with D'Amico Ryans than they were the last couple of hires, draft capital, burgeoning free agency budget, and D'Amico Ryans knew that, and he's a former Texans player, um, you know, the last couple of days through all of our articles on HoustonChronicle.com, we've set the context of this. But going there on Tuesday in the auditorium at Energy Stadium, I mean, that was that was a very it, it, it hit the context and what this means to the franchise because there were so many former football players that had been teammates with Demico Ryan's. There was Brian Cushing. They played so many years together as middle linebackers together. There were Jonathan Joseph, Glover Quinn, Andre Johnson, so many um, that at the end of the uh, after the end of press conference, they had some present players who were there like Derek Stingley, Austin Deculus, um, Thomas Booker. The list goes on. Um, they were they they went up and took a picture. Then uh, the old guard came up and took a picture to, together, and they just filled the entire stage and they they applauded frequently. Um, they were, in talking to a lot of them, the sentiment was kind of the same. And it, it's it's interesting having talked to fans uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, last couple of years too, they kind of followed the same, what it was like asking a couple of players and they said, hey, hey when's the last time you've been here? And they said, uh, 2019. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Uh, and that's, whenever you tap into that, that's, that's huge for a franchise that's trying to regain respect, trying to regain interest. But overall, they're trying to be good. And D'Amico Ryans was a top candidate, was uh, supremely interested in the Texans um, himself. And he told that story to us. We got a chance to talk to him a little bit after. Uh, but Nick Casario shared that on stage where he said, whenever after that first interview um, on, on that Friday before the divisional round game against the Cowboys... D'Amico Ryans was uh, in, coming off the practice field to to Zoom with them. And he told them at the end of it, I want this job. Bring me home. Let's make it happen. So he yeah. wanted this from the beginning. Um, and this kind of shows that the Texans, it, it, it fits everything for them. It, it's, it's just the timing for it. It has less. I'm not trying to diminish the Texans and their efforts, but the timing was so good that one of the top candidates, if not the top candidates, chose them and wanted to come be their head coach. And uh, they didn't really yeah. have to convince them to do that. So 
all of those dysfunctional questions that people threw out there all the time, and ones that we raised ourselves about the future of the Texans, like D'Amico decided he wanted to come to back to Houston, and I think that was very yeah, clear was, throughout the day. It was interesting. I, that might have been the happiest I ever seen Nick Casario. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, is <laughs> is totally different from his, of course, though, from his difference after the Lovey Smith press conference, where he just looked like he was down and beat up, but he just looked seemed excited when he was talking about D'Amico and, and how, you know, you know, it was interesting. They came away so impressed with D'Amico after his interview. You talked about it. He showed up in a suit 30 minutes after his, after his practice. Um, you know, he uh, was able to talk strategy with them. You know, one of the things that impressed them most was, you know, one of the things that Levy Smith struggled with or, or they felt like Levy Smith struggled with was halftime adjustments. Um, and, um, you know, how, they weren't really able to kind of come back against teams in the second half. But, you know, D'Amico Ryan, they talked to him about, you know, how you would make halftime adjustments, what are your philosophies? And he kind of told them, and then um, this is right before the Cowboys game, and then they go to the Cowboys game, and they look at the adjustments, and everything he told them was what happened. And they came away impressed with that, and they just they knew he was the right fit. Um, and, of course, they wanted to uh, go about the process the right way, but eventually – you know, he was the guy who they wanted all along and, and he and this was the team that he wanted all along. He he wanted nothing more than to be the Texans coach. He never thought that it could happen, but it just kind of fell that way. You know, he talked about his wife being from Houston, his kids were born in Houston, and he told his wife, like, we can't choose where we want to go. And it just it, it kind of felt like fate, you know, just kind of hearing him speak. Um, and everybody I've talked to when I was at the Senior Bowl just had nothing but great things to say about Demico Ryan. Saying he was one of the best teammates they ever had, just a great person, a motivator. Um, and, and and I think that's what the Texans need. They need, and this what this franchise needs to kind of help uh, facilitate them into this next step where they do have, you know, some some potential. They have a potential to take the next step with their with their draft capital and with their um, salary cap situation. And there were two things that Casario said today that hits on what you were visiting about in the Senior Bowl, looking at all those prospects. Two things that he outlined about D'Amico Ryans, the main one being how impressive he is at developing young talent. And D'Amico spoke to that himself. Like He gets really excited about the players that are on the, on the team right now. Um, and you think about the 49ers' defense. Yes, they invested heavily in first-round prospects along the defensive line, including Nick Bosa. And the Texans are going to have to do that, too, if they want to have that stout of a front. But when you have other players like Fred Warner, who was a third-rounder out of BYU, D'Amico Ryans invested into him, built him basically as his project while he was with the 49ers, and worked his way up to the point of being a two-time All-Pro. I mean, that translates easily into saying, oh, who's on the Texans roster? Hey, look, a third-round linebacker, Christian Harris. He's going to be projected to be this two-time All-Pro like Fred Warner. I hesitate to make those huge leaps right now. Really, what D'Amico Ryans is going to do here is enter a space where he enjoys the developmental aspect. And when you look at the last couple of years, that's what the Texans have failed to do in some ways, especially on offense. And we've seen some regression on defense, too. And... I think the most exciting thing that most people should hear, the first player he named was Derek Stingley. Um, I, a colleague at Sports Radio 610, Seth Payne, uh, one of the original Texans who was a, a, a nose tackle for them, he made this comparison. Um, he said, you know, the, the way the Texans were playing Derek Stingley was like, 
having a Lamborghini and running it in a school zone. And in some ways, that's kind of true. There's some hyperbole to that. But he was used very often in zone coverage when he's an all-around cornerback. We didn't really use... We see him used in those ways. D'Amico Ryans, as they add players uh, to the mix, uh, being able to get the most out of players like Jalen Petrie and others, like he's going to be less hands-on, I think, than he was with the 49ers. Obviously, a, de- a linebacker's coach with Warner was a position coach for him, and then as a defensive coordinator, he's going to hire his own staff that's going to have to teach too. So D'Amico Ryans is going to have to learn how to teach teachers. And especially on offense, because um, he's still searching for his offensive staff. And you wrote about the candidates that they're pursuing, so I'm interested to hear from your end on this. Um, What do you make of his pursuit of offense and what he sees in his vision? Yeah, I think he's trying to go after, um, you know, candidates who have had success, you know, at their respective positions, Um, you know, like – Cincinnati's um, wide receivers coach, Troy Walters. Um, we, we know that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins together have both had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Um, and I can't think of their number three wide receiver off the top of my head, but he's had... Yeah, it helps to have Joe Burrow throwing the ball, too. But, they, I mean, even their number three wide receivers had 700 and 800 yards. And, I mean, that's good. You don't see that around the league very often. Um, you know, you look at, um, they, they're going after the passing game coordinator, um, for San Francisco, which Kyle Shanahan said, that's something he's going to have to talk out with the, with the Miko, uh, cause he's going to dip into some of their staff. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's going into a, a mix of, um, guys who have had success at that position. And, you know, he talked about it. He wants to go after the best staff, um, possible, um, because he wants to win. And um, that's going to be key, man. Having a good offensive staff to go along with him is going to be important um, because we know what he can do defensively. Um, you know, the key is just figuring out how to turn around this offense because, um, you know, offense struggled mightily last year. Um, and and I know that, uh, you know, he's going to have some conversations with some of the current staff members who were still under contract with them this year. And, and who knows if, if any of those guys – um, will come back. I'm sure that'll be, you know, up to him, but a majority of them won't. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he, he, he shakes that up, but that's going to be super important. Um, who he decides to hire, he needs to hire some, some great young minds. And he said he wants to be diverse with it, a, a variety of experience and races, guys from different backgrounds, cause different guys learn different ways, but he wants to keep a positive mindset, which I thought was very interesting. He doesn't, what did he say? He didn't want any vampire sucking, um, which really goes to him cause everything I've heard from him. Yeah. Yeah. Vampire. Yeah, <laughs> emotion. Uh, yeah, energy, energy sucking. Yeah, well, I thought. I thought that was. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, I just thought it was. It was very interesting. It, it kind of goes. He wants to build this program the way he um, led. Um, at in the, with the Forty Nine ers with the Eagles, with the Texans. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, the one assistant coach that I saw there today was Frank Ross, and I imagine that. Out of all the staffers, if any are to come back, it would be him, special teams coordinator for the Texans. They were really good on special teams. They were playing really good, and that was really the only thing that was playoff worthy on the team. So I would imagine Frank Ross comes back. I I do not foresee very much of the offensive staff coming back, if at all. And it would be 
um, a situation here where I, I think if you talk to listening to what D'Amico said on Tuesday was um, not very insightful. Uh, they they he, he kind of gave you a little bit, but not too much. And the quarterback position, he didn't really uh, give too much about what they want to do with it. Acknowledge that Davis Mills was on uh, the team and that they want to support around him. Well, and that they need to build around the quarterback position. And then you, it, it's not just you know drafting Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or or going after some. He didn't name anybody specifically, uh, but. All that's true, and he also said, like, on the offensive side, too, uh, that they want to control the line of scrimmage, be able to run the ball, and then hit play action and make explosive plays. Every offensive coordinator, any offensive-minded person, anybody who's ever coached, will say those things. So those are all, like, the surface-level kind of checkboxes that we've heard even from the last couple of coaches with uh, Pep Hamilton and David Culley and Tim Kelly. That's what every offensive mind is going to try and achieve. So... Who they go after and what those specifics look like will emerge as they start to make those decisions. But I wanted to go back to that quarterback thing. How you were saying that you need to support a quarterback. Lovey Smith said that too. That's all true and everything, and everybody can uh, agree on that. But and he, he pointed to how the 49ers had Brock Purdy, and then they go with Josh Johnson, the fourth-string quarterback, into the NFC Championship game in the middle of it whenever Purdy got hurt. All that's true, but the 49ers invested heavily at the quarterback position, more than anybody, really. John Lynch, the general manager for the 49ers, traded their 2021 first-round pick plus two others to trade up one spot to get Trey Lance. Or, uh, uh, I mean, trade up 12 to 3, I'm sorry, to pick Trey Lance. And then before that, they traded and signed Jimmy Garoppolo for $125 million across five years. And then they picked Brock Purdy. So the 49ers, even though they had all these other weapons around him, of course, they had Debo Samuel, all these others, they invested heavily in quarterbacks. So that's two, I, I don't, I, that's, that's two D'Amico's own experience. He knows those things too. Um, he's also, I thought it was notable when I was asking him about all the first time head coaches he'd been around. He named, I mean, they're all offensive guys. Gary Kubiak. Andy Reid was um, a first-time head coach with the Eagles, who was still there whenever he first got there. And then Chip Kelly uh, joined after, and then he joined Kyle Shanahan. All these people were offensive staffs. He was very clear in his answer that he was absorbing a lot from those offensive minds. So just because a dude's a defensive coordinator doesn't mean he doesn't understand offense. Of course, he's trying to stop offenses. So he's a rising defensive coordinating mind, defensive mind, 38 years old. He's going to be able to build a staff, and um, I, I'm just saying, just whenever a person's giving somebody just kind of an overview, generic answer at the very first day of being introduced, I wouldn't hold hold them to all those things. Is really all I'm saying. So what what do you what do you make of, I guess, the the roster and the opportunity because they need a quarterback, uh, they need these uh, situations like all the players that were there. What was the vibe you caught from some of the players that uh, that you saw, and who do you think stands to gain the most from D'Amico's um, hire? I mean, I talked to a number of current players, but I interviewed Christian Kirksey and, and um, Derek Stingley, and both of them were super excited, um, uh, and I would say equally excited, especially Christian Kirksey, who's a linebacker, so he loves having a linebacker as a, as a coach. 
Um, and he just sees this as an opportunity where he could develop not not only as a as a player but also as a as a leader. Uh, I thought that was interesting what he said. He he said he's looking forward. He had talked to uh, former teammates who had played under D'Amico Ryan's, and they had nothing but great things to say. So he was just super excited. Uh, Derek Singley too, who you know felt he had a good year, but also felt like he can um, you know do better things. And he was excited that D'Amico Ryan's, who called him out, like you mentioned. Um, at the press conference is somebody who's good. You know, he was just excited that D'Amico Ryans could help take them to that next level. And, you know, we saw a lot of Derek Singley in zone. Um, he is a, uh, he, he, you know, better than, than most people. He is a man corner. Um, and uh, there was, uh, you know, talks, you know, where the Texans using, utilizing him in the right way. Was Lovey Smith using, utilizing him in the right way? Um, and then, you know, this is an opportunity for him to kind of expand on his game and be that shutdown corner that they hoped he would be shut down one side of the field. And uh, I think this is a perfect opportunity for them. So a lot of a lot of, you know, players can can benefit. Uh, we know that the, you know, another guy, Jalen Petrie, um, you know, the Texans have, have a lot of holes coming next year and they have to fill them. But they also have a lot of draft picks and some and some and some cap space to work with. So it should be good for him. There's. So much to this uh, timing for the Texans. When D'Amico Ryans arrived with the Texans in 2006, they were still four years in to their being their existence. They hadn't had a winning season yet. They hadn't even really gotten close in a lot of ways. And he was on their first 8-8 eight and eight team. They went 8-8 eight and eight again. And then they eventually moved to 2011 where they made their first playoff run. And um, I got a chance to talk to several of his teammates, like Jonathan Joseph, who arrived in 2011, um, Brian Cushing, who was a part of that rise too. And D'Amico Ryans knows what it means to be a part of a team that's trying to form its identity. So whenever you're talking about, to Christian Kirksey even, like how he was saying like he wanted to learn how to be a leader, those are important things uh, for this team as they've kind of been thrust together with a bunch of contracts that are one year, two year, now this like all the all the conversation that Nick Casario has had about building, you know, core pieces or whatever else. Like the reason you're seeing Casario a lot more lighthearted is because this is the fun part for him. Now it's not about, you know, trying to get the most out of huge limitations, and they're about to. Um, go on uh, the biggest acquisition phase they've had in several, several years. The first time that Casario's ever been able to do it. So um, I, ex- I, I, I expect that, that even, even with that, they're going to, I, I could see the, 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 they've got the fifth highest cap space according to over the cap. Um, and it balloons more in 2024 and onward. Um, I think they could gain, I think, $10 million if they traded Brandon Cooks, which might still be an option. But, um, you know, they, 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 they could, they, they, I'd be interested to see how Casario makes deals, how many big names he's actually going to secure with, you know, $37 million, uh, on the um, free to put on the books. So you can probably get about two big names um, if he clears up more or if he starts back-ending contracts. So we're... we're um, where do you get the sense, having watched some of the prospects at the Senior Bowl, where do you feel like this team has its greatest needs, and could they could they could they find them in the draft, or is it more 
possible to see how D'Amico and Nick Casario work together to to find free agents. Where do you think those two together fit into how the Texans? Yeah, look I like think this uh, you know, given the fact that they have eleven draft picks in this draft, you know, they're probably going to be. Um, you know, I think that's probably where the most of the focus is. As far as the senior bowl, a lot of the guys who were there at the senior bowl were more so there were a few day one guys, but not many. Most of them were guys who late day two, uh day three mostly. So these are guys who are gonna fill out your roster, who are gonna be role players mostly, and maybe some diamonds in the rough, but I did see some good guys. Um and um, you know, I think I, I do think that, you know, the Texans are gonna be much better. Um, they've got to add weapons um, and wide receiver, maybe a pass catching tight end. Um, that would certainly help them. Um, you know, they, they got to strengthen their linebacker core and they got to get better as far as backup um, running back. Because one of the big things that we haven't really talked about much is is the fact that, you know, while Damian Pierce was really good outside of him, um, he had no help. So when you looked at, the Texans stats running the football, they were among the lowest ranked teams in, in rushing yards per game. Um, and they can't keep running Damon Pearson to the ground. So I think they've got to uh, get help there. Um, the defensive line 100% has to be better. Um, you got to add somebody with Malik Collins and um, defensive end as well. Cause Jonathan Grenard and Jerry Hughes are coming up on the, the final years of their contract. Jerry Hughes is about to be 35, I believe. Um, so, um, uh, mm-hmm. Agbo, he, uh, Okoronko is, uh, he's a free agent who knows if he's going to resign. So, um, you know, they've got a lot of, that defensive line is going to be one. And, and, and then, uh, D'Amico talked about it. They got to be start up front on both sides of the line. And, uh, and I, I would expect that that's where they're going to start first. And perhaps that defensive line, uh, maybe the draft is where they do it or, or, or maybe free agency as well, depending on who, who is out there. Um, so we'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. What were you gonna say? And we'll we'll have we'll have plenty of time to uh, uh, look more into it. So we appreciate you guys reading all that coverage. Um, people are gonna hate this, and I'm not saying this is what they're gonna do. I don't think the Texans even know what they're gonna do yet with the number two overall pick. They, they're not averse to picking defensive linemen with a top pick. We've seen them do it before. Gary Kubiak was there. When they drafted Mario Williams, and then they drafted D'Amico Ryans in the second round, they went defense. And what did they do when they replaced David Carr? They traded for Michael Vick's backup, who ended up being the best quarterback the Texans had before Deshaun Watson arrived into town, Matt Schaub. So there are other ways the Texans can arrive at a quarterback that may not be sexy. It may not be picking Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, but there are different ways that um, teams end up making that work. So, you know what the Texans could do though. What's that? The Texans could try to trick the Bears. They could try to trick the Bears into thinking that they go defense, that they're interested in Jalen Carter, so the Bears don't trade back, and so that the Bears take Jalen Carter and then they take Bryce Young or whoever they like first at quarterback. I think the Bears are going to get stonewalled anyway because the Colts are at four, the Texans are at two. And if they both grade, say, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young relatively close together, why would the Colts give up anything to check on the opportunity? The only way that they'd get that involved is if, say, the Panthers or the Raiders were going to say, you know what, we're going to trade up that far to go there. And I would I would assume that the Colts 
actually have more trading power in some ways, but they need a quarterback. I would say, who's that uh, three? The Cardinals, um, I think. The Cardinals have more trading power than the Bears do, in my opinion, because they can a lot, like, it. once, once the Texans, if they choose a quarterback, all of a sudden there could be one more left. And the Cardinals are like, hey, uh, the Colts, you know the Colts are going to pick it. And then at that moment, that's when that could trigger. I think the Bears are in a less favorable position. But we can talk about that later. Um, I, I, I do want to point out to, to the listeners, like, kind of give the scene a little bit more. Because it was like, it was like Radio Row at the Super Bowl a lot. It was like, you, you, the entire auditorium was full. And as you're talking to people in the back of the hallway, you know, they've got this party set up for former players and uh, and the current ones and D'Amico Ryans and everyone, they're going into a different room. Um, and there's just champagne in, in, in several several uh, vases and food and all that cart going in uh, towards that room. And they were just having a blast. So, like, this, this franchise is prepared for a, a, a better time. With with the Texans, I mean, the, the, they've had four head coaches in four years, and I'd like to know exactly what the expectations are for this year. But it's not something they typically ever say on record. Anything within what uh, you, you see, what what Robert Sala did with the Jets, where they started off, I think they went four and thirteen, and then uh, Mike McDaniel, they went to the playoffs in his first year with the Dolphins, but that was a much better situation. I would think it's probably somewhere in between the expectations for Ryan's. I mean, they should not be a 13-loss team again next year. Without knowing the offensive coordinator or the quarterback situation all that, I think it's hard to see or really project an early, early deal. But how? what would you grade success for D'Amico Ryan's uh, first Success? Year? It, I, I think they need to get a quarterback. They need to get their quarterback of the future with that second pick. And then I think if they show improvement, even if it's a two-game improvement, and show that um, they're building a future, um, you know, you look at a team like the Lions, even though they were terrible last year, not this past year, but the year before that, you saw, like, some – some they were fighting in games, and they were making improvements, and that offense was, was taking strides, and then they took the biggest stride this past year. So you just need to see steady gains and an improving offense um, – a defense that continues to improve. You need your your young players to to have um, better years. Kenyon Green has to have a better year. Um, Derek Stingley has to take a step up. Jalen Petrie has to improve. I think all that. I think that's what success looks like. And when you can see that future, especially from the offense side, when you have because the quarterback steers everything. And if you could get that right quarterback um, on a rookie contract, that's how teams win Super Bowls. They win Super Bowls when they don't have to pay their quarterback much. Uh, so. Um, when they can, when they can find their offensive identity, I think that's what I think that's going to be their next step. I think still it's it's going to be wins. I mean they're they they're not going to say it's wins, but it's wins. They were technically in games that they should have won last year, but if they're not getting to six wins or nearing seven with a really favorable schedule next year, it's going to be pretty disappointing. Um, and I don't I don't think they'll be in that position. I think they're going to. Add a lot of talent, and it, you can feel better about a six-win team, even though 
it's further away from the playoffs or whatever, but as long as it looks competent towards the things that you're saying, I think that would realistically be success for them. But I mean, at the same time though, like, yes, you can get a rookie quarterback on on the deal. And that would have been great for the Texans if they had Davis Mills. But I mean, we've seen it done other ways again, like we were talking about with them trading for Matt Schaub. They didn't win a Super Bowl, but like the Rams, they just traded for Matt Stafford, the the Buccaneers, they got Tom Brady. He's not available anymore. He's now um, retired. So anybody thinking that Casario was going to go after his old Patriots buddy, um, you know, that's not, not there either. And Patrick Mahomes is going to another Super Bowl on a major extension. I think he owns stake in, is it, is it the Royals or the, the soccer team? That's I think it's there? the Royals, yeah. There's still ways to formulate a team around a sign-and-trade, a, a signing or whatever. The pie-in-the-sky Lamar Jackson sign-and-trade. We'll just keep pumping uh-huh. that one around. <laughs> but um, I, it'll be it'll it'll still be very. And I could still see a situation where, say, like Bobby Slowick, the passing game coordinator for the 49ers, comes along, and the Texans say, "Look, all right, who is he very familiar with? Who's available in free agency?" There's well, there's Jimmy Garoppolo. I would be surprised if they made that move. So we'll we'll see how they progress with that. We'll have a lot more time to talk yeah. about all that. Well, thanks for listening as always. Again, I'm Jonathan Alexander. He's Bruce Cabina. Until next time, check out our content on HoustonChronicle.com slash sports. We'll be feeding you guys more content on D'Amico Ryan's and his hire and, and, and what's next for the Texans. Until next time.